from the book of Exodus, chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with my mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it also became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Please be seated. I have a few things that I want to uh, say here at the beginning, an announcement I forgot to make. Uh, you will have noticed in your bulletin there are these testimony sheets. About once a month we like to have a, a, a Sunday morning where we take some time to just share about what kinds of things God has been doing in your life. A lot of the times the word testimony means how you came to know the Lord, and that would be a wonderful story to hear as well. But what we have in, in particular in mind are scriptures that have been powerful and important to you recently or some way that you've seen God at work in your life. And if you are not a public speaker, if that kind of scares you, uh, we would love to encourage you to write your testimony down and you can put it in my mailbox or Pastor Ben's mailbox downstairs or just hand it to me today and we will read it for you. Uh, you could also bring it next week and that will we'll do the same. The other thing I want to say before we get started, I want to let everyone know that I love my wife very much, and so when she did not want me to make a big deal that her birthday was yesterday, I, I told her I would not ask everyone to sing. But uh, uh, her birthday was yesterday, so if you, uh, you want to see Lisa after, and she loves being the center of attention. Oh, how she loves it. So uh, uh, if you want to uh, talk to her afterwards and wish her a happy birthday, I would appreciate it. Because while she doesn't like to be the center of attention, I love to make her the center of attention. So, God wants to use you to speak his words, to act out his will, and to do things that you never thought were possible. I'm going to say that again because it's important and I want you to hear it. God wants to use you to speak his words, to act out his will, and to do things that you never thought were possible. We're in the middle of a series on the book of Exodus, and we're calling this series 
following the invisible God. Because that's what's said about Moses in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, is that he followed the invisible God. And the, the idea here is that we worship a God who, who is present, who is real, who is near. He's within us. He speaks to us. We have his word. But still, try as we might, we are not able to just look and see him. But we find, especially in this book of Exodus, story after story that tells us something magnificent about who he is. And these stories can affect us still today, affect our lives still today. And today we're talking about God working through us. And so that sentence I said twice before, I'm going to say again. It is our single sentence sermon summary. God wants to use you to speak his words, to act out his will, and to do things you never thought were possible. He wants to use you. Not the person next to you, not the one who's, who's in the pew further down, but they're really the ones God, God has a plan to use. He wants to use you. No matter how old you are, how young you are, no matter how good of a speaker or confident a person, no matter how introverted or extroverted, God wants to use you. So last week we talked about the calling of Moses and the way that it revealed the faithfulness of God. And that was the story about the burning bush when God reveals his name, Yahweh, which means I am. In other words, it means that God is the one thing that can always be relied upon, who can always be trusted, who though everyone else might be unfaithful, he will always be faithful because it's who he is. Moses' calling was to be God's instrument to bring freedom to his people. Now, I, I want to kind of fast forward from that story, and I want to tell you a little bit about the big picture that God has in mind that he's going to use Moses for, and then we're going we're gonna to zero in on Exodus chapter 7. So, the Lord told Moses, I'm going to use you to free my people, as Moses stood there speaking to a burning bush. And that's true. What he told Moses he was going to do through Moses was true. But something that's, that's usually true for us was also true for Moses. God did not give him the full picture. So often in our lives, when we look back, we can see that, that what we had in mind or what we thought God was doing may have been part of what God was doing, but he was at work in such bigger and greater and more complex ways than we could ever have imagined or known. That was true for Moses there as well. He had more in mind than what he shared with Moses. God isn't just going to free the Israelites. He's going to do that. But he's going to show his people and he's going to show the world who he is. The book of Exodus is the book that God wants to use to really introduce himself to his people. That's why we get the name of God right there at the beginning. Who are you? I'm the one who causes everything else 
to be. So God is going to use these events in the book of Exodus to really introduce himself. And because of that, he isn't just going to free them. He's going to march an 80-year-old shepherd, an 80-year-old shepherd, into the throne room of the most powerful man in the world, a man who claimed and believed himself to be a god, and he's going to demonstrate his power. He's going to take on every symbol of power that the Egyptians have. He's going to take on every god and goddess worshipped by the Egyptians, and he's going to show who and what they are in comparison to him. He's going to show that he is infinitely superior to anything else. And so I want you to remember that in the ancient world, people didn't worship just one God. Outside of the, the Old Testament with the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus, right, we're seeing monotheism, the belief in one God for the very first time in the world's history. Egypt did not know the idea of worshiping one God. And so if you believed in many gods, you believed a few things in common about them. One, people tended to think that their gods were territorial. Moses is in Midian. Most people believe that if you worshipped a god in Midian, he did not also have power somewhere else like in Egypt. And you believe that the Egyptian gods did not have power in Midian. And in fact, when cultures would clash, when wars would be fought, people often believed it's whose God was stronger that carried the day. When a people prospered, they believed that who, their God being strong and powerful and happy with them caused and allowed them to prosper. So, the more powerful the people, the more powerful their gods, and the Egyptians knew themselves to be very powerful. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to say one more thing. Usually when we read this story or stories like it, we have a few questions. We come to these stories in the Old Testament, and we come up against other gods or against sorcerers, and, and we, tend to, we tend to wonder a few things. Were those gods real? Did those sorcerers have power? Now, I want to be crystal clear and dramatically take a drink of water. Sorry about that. I want to be crystal clear that we don't exactly know. Right? We, don't, we, we believe that there are evil spirits who would love to be worshipped by a powerful nation as though they were gods. And I think it's almost without question, almost without question, that there were demons involved in the Egyptian religion. Perhaps posing as gods or perhaps just misleading people to worship falsely as they did. But is Ra, the Egyptian sun god, real? The answer is no. Could there be a demon posing as Ra and accepting worship because of it? Absolutely yes. Now what about the magicians and sorcerers? Those two words, they sound very different from one another to us, don't they? Right? Magician kind of sounds like the illusionist you have at a birthday party who does fun tricks and you wonder how they did it. And sorcerer, that sounds like something from the Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, right? Someone with a magic wand that, that conjures things. Well, neither one of those really comes close to what is happening or who these people are in this story. 
They're not fun illusionists, and they're not, they're not Harry Potter wizards. Sorcery in the Old Testament is about the worship of other gods. It's about invoking those gods to show power. They're religious priests, and they're trying to show power from the gods that they believe are with them. So now in our story, they make a staff into a snake. Could that have been sleight of hand? Right? Could they, could they be the illusionists we think of as magicians today? Of course they could have. I think snakes were probably relatively common and easy to come by in ancient Egypt. And especially if they had time to prepare, they probably could have done sleight of hand. It's possible. Could it have been demonic power? I think it's possible. We don't know. If you have a strong opinion, I would love to talk to you about it afterwards. I'd love to hear why you think the way that you do. But I want you to know this. What we do know absolutely is that there is no power which rivals God. If there are demons at work, if there are, if there are demons posing as other gods, if these sorcerers actually have some source of power, there is no thing natural or supernatural, which can oppose the power of God. And that is the point of the story that we're about to dive into. Now, the truly remarkable thing about all of this, it's the most powerful nation in the world, the most powerful man in the world. He believes himself to be part man and part God. He believes that his word is law. And God is going to use Moses to walk right up to Pharaoh and speak his words and act out his will and to do things that Moses never thought possible. Because one incredible, wonderful thing about our God is that though he does not need us, God does not need anything. Though he does not need us, he delights in allowing us to participate, to be part of his plan. He works through us. Fallen, broken, imperfect people, the almighty God of the universe works through us. So, let's look at Exodus chapter 7. There's a few points that, that are important to do whenever you're studying a Bible passage especially a Bible passage from a story, right? There's the letters that, that, that we have in, in the New Testament, but, but if you're reading a story, the Gospels or the book of Acts or any of the stories in the Old Testament, there's a few things that are important to do when you're trying to figure out what's going on. And one of them is you want to look at whatever the dialogue is, whoever is speaking, because writing took a lot of space in the ancient world, and writing back and forth speaking takes up a lot of room. And so if you're going to do that, it's important. It means the point of the story is probably somewhere in the words that are being spoken. And as we read this story, it's very interesting because this is a story about Moses and Aaron going before Pharaoh, right? It's a story of them exchanging, sharing God's message. It's a story of this contest between them and the sorcerers with, with the staff, and one staff eats the other. I imagine there were very, very interesting things spoken, and we don't have any of them. Because that's 
not the point of the story. Because even though that no one but Moses and Aaron know it, God is absolutely in charge of what's happening. And it's his words to Moses that matter most. He is the one who is over all of it. So the story, right? You have, you have Moses walk, and Aaron walking in, and Aaron's staff right, is thrown down, and it becomes a snake. And these magicians somehow, either through sleight of hand or through their own power, are able to, to make their staffs into snakes as well. And Pharaoh sees this. And you wonder a little bit about what was going on in his mind. Well, I think a few things. This was a contest between gods. That would have been very clear right from the beginning. It's kind of like if you watch boxing, there's always that period before the fight, that moment before the fight where the two fighters come together. We call it the weigh-in, right? And they kind of talk to each other and they kind of size one another up. And sometimes you see one of them definitely gains a psychological advantage from that time. But usually... Usually, they're sizing each other up. And often, if you look carefully, you can see just from that comparison which one of them is sure of himself, which one of them is going to carry the day. That's definitely present here. This is the weigh-in between God and the gods of Egypt. So one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped was named Wajit. We actually have a slide, I think, of Wajit. This is a uh, a sign of what it would look like to have Wajit kind of carved into a wall. And Wajit was a serpent, right? So she was a goddess of life, and she protected children and kings. The snake was a symbol of a god's protection of Pharaoh. And in fact, Pharaohs in their burial tombs, but also on their crowns, they would have Wajit's Sign. You see the serpent there. And the next one, you can see it from the side. And if you notice in, in pictures of ancient Egypt, you will see pictures of Wajit on front of Pharaoh going before him as his protector. The snake protected the king. So now you, you can kind of get a picture of what's going on here, right? The staffs go down to the ground, they become snakes, and Pharaoh still feels safe. Sure, Moses, you bring a snake, but we have snakes too, and everybody knows they protect me. And then what happens? If it stopped there, it could be kind of a, a standstill, it could be kind of a draw, right? But God never goes against anyone and ends in a draw. The serpent that comes from Aaron's staff swallows up the other ones. Now, it's hard for us to really get a picture of the, the gut punch that this would have been to Pharaoh. You think about some of the symbols of power that we hold dear that make us feel safe. It would be like maybe someone setting an American flag on fire. Or maybe, maybe, maybe something else com comes to mind for you, right? In America, we really think of the bald eagle is kind of an animal that represents us. It would be like someone killing a bald eagle in front of you. It's, it's some symbol that brings you comfort, that makes you feel safe, that is totally and completely turned against you. Undoubtedly, Pharaoh's shook 
and he's angry, but Pharaoh believes himself to be a god. He's going to put himself up against Yahweh and see what happens. And just as a spoiler alert, there's only one thing that ever happens when a person puts themselves up against the God of the universe. Yahweh will always be glorified. So that's, that's what's happening here. They're weighing in. The plagues are coming. We're going to talk about it next week. And plague after plague attacks a specific god or goddess or belief of the Egyptian people in their own power and superiority. God isn't just freeing the Israelites. He's displaying who he is. And what's amazing here is God is capable of doing all of this without Moses and without Aaron. The passage says that Moses is 80 and Aaron is 83. And he's going to use these two men. And there's a lot of reasons why I think he chooses Moses. And one of them almost assuredly is that he's 80 years old. Many of you who are 80 or higher here today probably do not picture yourselves going into the halls of power and confronting the world's leaders, preparing to lead an entire people through a desert to a mountain, to have 40 years left of time to serve God. That's not the picture you get of an 80-year-old shepherd. And I think that's part of why Moses is chosen, because it's not Moses that matters. God wants to work through you. He wants to say things through you to other people that they know could not have come from you. He wants your mouth to be a vessel of his love to his people. He wants to use your hands to work toward peace. He wants to use your feet to go into dark places and bring light. But he's not going to do that because you are amazing. Every person is made in the image of God. Every person is valuable. That's not a small thing. It's not a small thing. But it's not your preparedness. It's not your giftedness that matters. It's him. Many of us have found ourselves at different times confronted with something that we thought, maybe God is calling me to this, but I can't do it. I remember the first sermon that I ever preached lasted about five minutes. I thought it was going to last about 30. And I stood up there. I had all this time, right? The worship team was not at all ready to come and take over. And I was doing this weird thing. I don't know why I kept hitting my Bible because I used to clap my hands when I taught karate. So every point I made, I would hit my Bible and I got real intense and then I'm done. And I looked at the clock and it was five minutes long. And I realized then and there, I don't have what it takes to be a preacher. And I want to tell you, I don't. If it is just me that come up and, and, and speak about God's word to you every week, you are in trouble. But fortunately, we serve a God who says it doesn't matter who I am. It matters who he is. What is your calling? What has God asked you to do that you are not capable of on your own? There's some things that are universal to all of us. Just absolutely, it is so difficult for us to love all these other people that we bump around into through the course 
of our life. The easy people to love are easy to love, right? This person is friendly and kind to me. Loving them is easy. This one is not. God couldn't actually expect me to love them. Or maybe loving them just means all I have to do is have this nice kind of thought about the value of their humanity, but I don't actually have to be kind to them. Because I could never be kind to everyone. It isn't who you are or what you can do that matters. It's who God is and what he can do. And he can take an 80-year-old shepherd and his 83-year-old older brother who is very, very flawed. We're going to hear about that in a few weeks as well. And he can use them to tell a story that still resonates and is powerful today. There's a passage that I always think of, that I always come back to when I think about God's desire to work through us. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he's talking about all kinds of things about the Christian life. And the youth group has heard me read from 2 Corinthians 5 probably 300 times. I I haven't done it as often here, just because I haven't had time to, but it is a passage I absolutely love because I think it sums up the gospel in a powerful and beautiful way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're only picking 16 to 20 for the purposes of this, but the whole chapter, every verse is important and magnificent. I recommend reading it often. So follow with me. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. In other words, if you are in Christ, if you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, if you have repented of your sins and received his forgiveness, you are made new. A new life when the Holy Spirit comes into you. A life that will last forever. You are a new creation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. This is the gospel in a nutshell. The reconciliation or the the remaking of relationship between God and people, between God and the world. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So that means that gospel, that message, that news, that promise, that's been given to us to share. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are the way the Lord wants to tell others about him. We are the way that the Lord wants to show his love to others. He wants to, he wants to use us to speak his words, to act out his will, and to do things that we never thought were possible. One of the strangest experiences I have being in school with other preachers is Every now and then, in in class, before, after, during, we'll have time to talk about 
our ministries. And one thing that's interesting, there's definitely those that always speak well of their church, and I think that that is good, but then there are those that just seem to never have anything but negative things to say about the body that they lead. And that, that's painful for me to hear. I'm always saddened by that. There's absolutely no question in my mind that I am very blessed to be called to serve at a church like this one. We are part of a movement that has always valued personal holiness. The, the early Anabaptists, they were known for it. They were willing to experience and go through terrible suffering, even death, for the sake of their faith. They were arrested and beaten and sometimes killed, and all the while they held fast to their commitment to Jesus. That's the story that we're part of. And this church is blessed to be a part of that heritage. And our church has, year after year, served those in need in many, many ways. It's an incredible body that we're part of. Whether it's in the Mennonite relief sale, we're year after year, we're part of the pancake and sausage supper that, that just, at, or breakfast, I guess, that raises so much money for those in need. Whether it's the number of quilts, hundreds, I meant to check beforehand and I didn't, hundreds at least of quilts made either for missions or for families in need. This is a church that when we have an event that we need help for, we don't worry about whether or not people are going to show up you're terrible about signing up ahead of time, but you're always there. It's been a great lesson in faith, trust me. This is a church that shows up to love its community. This is a church that shows up to serve Jesus, and it is an incredible blessing. I'm regularly blessed by the wisdom so many of you have accrued in a lifetime of serving Jesus of faithfully reading and studying scripture, being devoted prayer warriors, and living a life full of service. That is absolutely a part of the identity of this church. And so I want to say something that so many of you already know and know well. You, here today, you, not the one next to you, not the one who's, who's younger than you and so has decades left and and not just the one who's older than you, and so they're, they're in a place in life to make a difference. You, if you're 10, if you're younger, if you're 90, if you're older, and everyone in between, God wants to use you. He wants to use your words to share his passionate love with a world that doesn't know him. It is so sad to know that we live in a community where seven in ten people are not regularly involved in a church. He wants to use your hands to serve the church and our community. He wants to use them to make peace. And he wants to use your feet to go to bring light into the darkest of places. This is why our personal holiness is so important. The life we live, the way that we commit to and follow Jesus, it is so important. What's your struggle? And why does it matter? Do you lose your temper? Everybody struggles with their temper, right? But we have to remember that when we lash 
out in anger. We are hurting the very people that God wants to use us to show his love to. Are your words filled with grace or do you struggle there? All of us do. If you're saying no, you don't, you need to ask a loved one and maybe you're that person, but all of us struggle. The very mouth that we use to praise our Lord and Father, we so often make into a a, a hole of bitter complaint or gossip or cruelty. And God wants to use it to spread the good news of his son, to build up those around you, to make, to speak his love in powerful and real ways. Look at your hands. I want you to do that for me. Put your hands up in front of you. What do you use them for? The things that you do with your hands, do they, do they serve God? Are they used so often in things that do not bring him glory? Here's the truth of it for all of us. It's sometimes one way and sometimes the other. You cannot be perfect. You can't. By the power of his spirit within you, you are developing and changing and transforming to be more and more like Jesus. The fruit of the spirit if you, are, if you belong to him, are becoming more and more real, more and more a part of who you are, but you will never be perfect. But we can never think that our lives, our actions, our thoughts, our words don't matter because they do. And our commitment to him affects that process of change. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be an effective vessel for him to use to speak and to work to bring light and to spread the gospel then you need to be all in you need to know that 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 you don't get called to go and stand in front of pharaoh if you're not ready to jump all in because you won't be able to go the story we read last week shows moses doubting asking not to be sent and then somewhere between Midian and Egypt, he lets that go because he's 100% there. We see that with the apostles at the end of the Gospels. They go from questioning and debating, being afraid and hiding in locked rooms, to preaching powerful sermons in front of thousands of people like that. What's the change? They're all in. So as you think about your faith, as you think about the process, the act, following Jesus are you all in because he wants to use you he wants to use your life to tell a story that you wouldn't even believe but it won't happen unless you're all in pray with me Father God we come before you Thankful for blessings. You are amazing, Father. And we praise you for the way that we see your grace, your mercy, your love working out in our lives, in this church, in this body of people who love and worship you. But God, we are imperfect. And it's so easy for us to allow the worries 
of this life, the priorities of the world to, to creep in, to pull at our hearts and tug them away from you. Lord, call us back. If we are in a place where we belong to you, we're yours, but we just, we're not all in. Maybe we have been in the past, but something has clouded that. Wake us up, Lord. Speak life into us again. Bring us back to you in a powerful way. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray that you would convict them to come and speak to me, to one of the deacons, to Pastor Ben or to Logan, and find out about what it means to belong to you. Lord, and I pray that you would give us eyes to see the ways that you are using us to affect the world around us. We know that we will plant seeds and be used in ways we can't see. Fruit that grows far after we're gone. Lord, give us eyes to see your work in and through and around us. And help us to always be ready to be used by you, to speak your words, to act out your will. Because we know that we will see and do and experience things that we would have never believed possible. Pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.